Amen. So we have to understand what is the lead-in context here. And so back up with me, if you would, just a little bit. Uh, in Romans chapter number 4, uh, he is explaining, Paul is writing that justification is by faith. And he uses the life of Abraham uh, to illustrate that. And then uh, he, he defines uh, that, it, that faith is, that justification is by faith. And then uh, that justification is separate from the law or ordinances. Uh, and then uh, as, as with that thought in mind, if you would look at beginning at verse number 18, we're just going to kind of jump in a little bit here, not take the time to read that whole chapter. But verse number 18 of chapter 4, who against hope, speaking of Abraham, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And be not weak in faith, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And faith is an incredible thing that God has given us and that God has uh, caused to be really the connection point to the power of God, to salvation, to life, to everything that we need, uh, and to where we are as, as people. Without faith, uh, God, is, God is not limited in power. God's grace is not limited in scope. Uh, but I cannot access it apart from faith. I must have faith. You think about uh, driving around Baytown or anywhere in Houston, really, uh, and if you're on the, uh, depending on what you call it, the frontage road, the feeder road, the service road, we've all kinds of different names, and, uh, and, uh, but you can have the interstate running alongside, and you can be running on there, and you can want to be on the interstate or off of it as much as you want, but without a ramp up or a ramp off, you're not getting, you, you can't make the transition. Uh, think of faith as a transition ramp. Uh, God's grace, God's power, God's working in our life to salvation, to sanctification is all uh, right there. All of God's, God's power is not growing. God's power always is and always will be a constant. Uh, God's grace is a constant. But how much of God's power I can tap into and how much of God's grace I experience throughout my life is largely determined upon my faith. Uh, does my faith grow? Is my faith growing? Abraham is given as an illustration here because Abraham was a man that God had made tremendous promises to uh, when he was a young enough man to have actually uh, have to have actually had a family and grown that family enough under his just his own natural power. Uh, and then even with God working, there would have been an argument that could have been made that this was just the natural course of life. 
uh, and what Abraham, Abraham and Sarah accomplished in their in their family. But because God waited until they were beyond childbearing years, and not just barely, but way beyond, when he talks about the deadness of Abraham, the deadness of Sarah's womb, he's literally saying that they were at such an advanced age that it was physically impossible for them to conceive a child. Uh, and so at that time, God steps in. And God honors and fulfills his promise. Why? So that he can demonstrate illustratively to us that what God has done, no one else could do. Now, it's important because salvation, our salvation, is dependent upon the realization of the fact that salvation is beyond anything that any human being could ever accomplish. Salvation is dependent completely and utterly upon the power of God. I have to trust by faith. God gave and fulfilled this promise to Abraham and Sarah because they exercised faith in God. And he says he imputed to him. Now imputed just means laid to his account, put on his account. So whenever we sin, sin is imputed to us. We've, we've earned that. It's ours. Uh, it's what we are. Uh, so when we see the word there imputed several times, what he's saying is I sinned against God and therefore I am guilty. That charge has been laid upon me, has been leveled against me. It has been imputed to my account. Uh, but God here took Abraham's faith and imputed to him righteousness, put on his, his account righteousness. Now, was Abraham a righteous man? Well, no. Now, you could make an argument if you wanted to consider uh, a comparison contest between Abraham and others throughout history. I mean, compared to me, Abraham's pretty righteous. Uh, compared to a lot of people, Abraham was a pretty godly sort of a man. Uh, but compared to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the only comparison that matters, Abraham fell short. Abraham, like you and like me, had his sin problems, had his things that overcame him, had his, the things in his life uh, that, that hindered him, that separated from him, him from God. But yet his faith was great. His faith was great enough and his relationship with God was strong enough that even God himself referred to Abraham as his friend. And so when we stop and we consider here uh, that the, the, the great transition that's taking place in the minds of the people, the argument that Paul is making is he's saying, listen, you have, you have been as a people uh, to the Jews here all about uh, the law, and now it's all about grace. It's all about putting our faith in what Jesus Christ has done. Now, Therefore, being justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing it is to know as a Christian that I can have and find peace that the world will never understand. Uh, you know, we, we go through life and every person would say, yeah, I want some, uh, I would like some peace. And the older we get, the more peaceful we like it. Uh, and so, but we want some peace. Why do we want to get away from uh, work on the weekend? It's more than the physical exhaustion of your job. It's the mental taxation uh, of just being on the go and being engaged. You need a day of rest, a day to step back, a day of peace. We look for that peace. God uh, can give that peace. Now, when we talk about 
salvation, and, and this is a little bit unusual of a message this morning in that there's only two points and there's a lot of uh, information to kind of go with them, but we talked about being saved for eternity. You know, one of the things, and, and really uh, the, the thrust of Romans chapter 5 emphasizes not just salvation, but the eternality of, it, of, its, of what it provides. Uh, the, the fact that when Jesus saved me, when Jesus saved you, he did not save you for a period of time. Uh, he saved you for all of eternity. Uh, it doesn't come and go. It's not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon Christ. Uh, there's not anything of it uh, that is dependent upon us other than our putting our faith and trust uh, in him and what he's done. Uh, and so you could say that eternal security or the security of the believer is at the heart and soul of Romans chapter 5. When you get into Romans chapter 6, you begin to transition into a li uh, the lifestyle that we should live after salvation and how that shapes up and how God grows us and develops us and, uh, and how he, he develops and matures our life. And I realize this morning, there are a lot of people that struggle with the concept of being saved for all of eternity. There are a lot of people that are well-meaning, that, uh, that are godly in their, in their lifestyle, that have a really difficult time believing uh, that, if I, that God saved me and then my life and my actions, my activities have no bearing on that. Now, I will say this. That when, my, when I come to Christ in faith, repentant of my sin, and trust Him, I am born into His family, that should change a lot of my motivation. I do not believe someone that, and biblically so, someone that genuinely repents of their sin and receives Christ as their Savior will continue to live down the same course and path of life. Uh, that He changes us. Our standing changes. Our position changes. That is uh, what salvation does to us practically in our life. But a lot of people have a hard time understanding. They just think, hey, uh, you know, if, if uh, uh, and, and, and here's the reason. And, and what this does is it interjects the power of humanity back into the equation is that if, uh, if I say, oh, well, pastor, if you put your trust in Christ, and, uh, but then you go out and you do this or you do that, then God's going to take away that salvation. Uh, that's biblically inconsistent with what he teaches. But here's why we do it and why a lot of people do this. Because they look and they say, well, if you don't have that stipulation, uh, then man can just live however he wants to. Well, man can't be a part of the equation. Man is not part of the equation for salvation. Man is not part of the equation for keeping his salvation. We are saved because God changes our position. And we have been trained and cultivated and just I think it's just kind of natural for us to think of salvation as being God coming into our life and God coming upon us and uh, and and, you know, giving me the gift of salvation. Uh, and then now uh, I've got to start this process of transformation and salvation is transformative. I'm not saying that it's not what I'm saying, though, is that salvation is a change of position. Salvation is a change of standing. It is a change of what I was into something brand new. And I am not saved this morning because of my good works, my good deeds, nor will I continue to be saved this morning because of my good works and my good deeds. But I will live and perform good works and good deeds because I am changed. In other words, because I'm a new creature, because I am different than I was before. Now, therefore being justified, justified simply meaning that I have been changed 
in my standing. What has been imputed to my account in sin has now been reconciled with God. And a simple definition of justification is that God has changed my position or my condition of being someone who has sinned to someone who has been restored to a place just as if they were brand new, just as if we had never sinned. And so it, it is a restorative process. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're reconciled in our relationship with him through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It is a change of standing this morning. And understand, first of all, as we look at this, our standing in Christ, what is are standing in Christ. If I am a person who has been just born and I've lived my life according to how my family trained me or how my church trained me or how uh, just whatever the influences of my life are have kind of shaped and molded my life uh, to wherever I am at this point in this place at this juncture of my life, then I am a person who is standing outside of the grace of God. I am not a part of his family. He created me, but my position is outside the family. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I am born into the family of God. That's why the term is used, born again. We use that term uh, a lot of times, especially back uh, in the 80s, in the days of uh, the, the, the evangelical religious groups, you talked about that. If you could not be elected to an office in the United States if you did not claim to be born again. And it really kind of lost a lot of its meaning or it was cheapened because it was so freely used. But it is the term that Jesus used when he spoke to Nicodemus. When Nicodemus said, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, you must be born again. And so salvation, the moment of salvation is a new birth. It is a, it is creating me as a brand new creature. It is a change of standing. When I trust Jesus as my savior, I go from a position that is rightfully mine here to a position that God gives me and therefore makes rightfully mine here. Whenever I Whenever someone joins the military and they go and they're sworn in and they go through the process of, uh, of their initial training and, and you generally, uh, at least in the branch that I was in, are not considered to be a, a, a legitimate member of that branch of the service until you graduate from that school. You're, you're in, you're getting paid, you're going through the training, but you are not, uh, you are not officially or quantitatively called that thing. I, I remember going through to, to be called a Marine for the first time was a really big deal. I mean, and it was 13 weeks after the fact of the beginning of the yelling and the screaming and the marching and the exercise and the, and the classes and all of that before the word was ever used to address our group, our platoon. It was a big deal. What, what did it signify? It signified. It signified a change of position. It signified that I was a I was a recruit. Now I am a Marine. Now I was this. Now I am this. And what being born again establishes is that I was this, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and now I'm something new. 
I, I, I haven't earned it. It was a gift. <coughs> I was born into God's family. Now, how does that happen? That happens when I put my faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. See, one of the greatest obstacles to someone truly trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior is understanding that they need what Jesus offers. There are a lot of people that, uh, and I think, <clears throat> I think probably Brother Jason's read it. I think Brother Jaden is reading the book now that's talking, basically the whole crux of the whole book is how to help people that have been in a church environment all their life understand that they're lost. Now, we use that term religiously. If you're not familiar with what we mean by that, I, I realize that you're not lost this morning in the sense of uh, you don't know where you are, uh, but we're lost in the sense of we, we can't see or we don't know what we need. If I don't understand that I need what Jesus did for me on Calvary's cross, then I'm never going to uh, accept it. If someone comes and tries to give me something that I have no use for, I don't want to, I don't want to accept that. But if someone wants to give me something I have great need for, then I'll, uh, I'll accept and gratefully so. And so a lot of times our problem is, and there, listen, there, there are churches today that are filled with good people, Brother Deck, who are going to die and go to hell, not because they were bad, but because their standing or their position was outside the family of God. But pastor, they were in church every day. They were in church every week. They, uh, they served. They sang in the choir. They did this. They did that. It's not about what we do, and it's not about how good we clean up, and it's not about uh, what we wear or where we go. It's about our position, our standing in Christ. And Paul, all throughout chapter 4 and Abraham, and now coming into chapter 5, is making the point and trying to make the point emphatically that Abraham's was made righteous because of his faith. Not because he followed the law, not because he obeyed the rules, not because he went to church, not because he said yes sir or no sir, not because he was honest in his business dealings. He was, he was on his way to hell no matter how good he was because going to hell is not about behavior, it's about position. It's about where and who and what am I. I either am a child of God or I am not a child of God. Well, pastor, uh, everybody's the child of God. No, every person is the creation of God, but only when I am born into his family do I become his child. And so when we understand the distinction and the play on words that, uh, that society throws in sometimes confuses the way that we think, especially when we've heard it all of our lives, but understand that biblically it's all about position. What is my position? What is being imputed to my account? Am I, am I carrying this morning the load of my sin? Listen, there are people all over the country and all over the world that go to church week in and week out and they live under the yoke of the burden of their sin they're in misery they are they are without peace they are without hope they are going through life hoping to be good enough to satisfy and appease a god so that he'll let them in listen it's not about that it's about are you his child have you been born into his family 
Have you come to a place where you said and where you realized that I am carrying the weight and the burden of my sin because I stand in this position and God stands over here. And all the while, God is crying out to us. God is looking across and he is sending emissaries to speak with us and ambassadors to speak with us. And he's letting us look across and see lives that are lived uh, to his glory and where God's grace is being magnified and where God's peace is overwhelming and even difficult for someone on that side of the equation to understand. And and we see that as we look across because God is working to draw us to make the decision to say, Father, I want, I need what this people have, what these people have, and I cannot get there on my own, but I trust you and I put my faith in you. And when we put our faith in God, then God births us into his family and all of a sudden, sudden our position has changed our standing has changed i am no longer on the outside looking in i am in the inside embracing my god that's what god wants to do in our heart and so when we stop and we understand that when god saved us when god birthed us into his family that that was not a temporary thing and sometimes we think about Salvation in terms of just, uh, of just you know, God did this in my life and my sin is forgiven uh, and relationally I'm reconciled to God. No, your position was changed. Now you're his child. Why is that important? Because if, if I'm just a guest that God has extended grace to, then I can become excluded at some point. A guest can often overstay their welcome. But family never can. A son never can. We belong. And that's it. I I love the thought that whenever I look at my life and I see what a wretch I am in the eyes of God, uh, apart from his grace and his love, uh, that I can look and say with all confidence and peace that I am so glad that, that I belong here. I may not always look like I belong. I may not always behave like I belong, but I belong. Why do I belong? Because I was born into his family. And and I was born there. I am that forever. I am that for life. I can't change that. If I wanted to change it, I couldn't change it. Uh, If uh, uh, we all have our children and we all have our our families, and listen, uh, we we can have all kinds of problems and we can have all kinds of severance of relationship, but we can never change the fact that our child is our child. It's not, it's, it's not a negotiable. It's not, an, it's not an identity thing. It is a reality that once I have born children, my wife and I bore our four children, or she bore them, we had our children, and we, we trained them up together. Uh, and what, no matter what direction they go, no matter what course they take, no matter whether or not they want to stay close to us, uh, or whether they uh, whether they decide that hey we don't want to identify as your child anymore nothing can change the fact that there are children why because it's not about behavior and it's not about acceptance it's about standing it's about do they belong now 
<coughs> when God did that, and we understand that the position of it, we understand this is not something that goes away. This is not something that I can squander. This is not something that I can lose. This is not something that God will take back if I behave badly. It is a change of who and what I am. Now, uh, we talk about that this morning, our standing in Christ. Uh, consider these four or five thoughts about that, uh, and then we'll illustrate it, and then we'll move on to point number two. First, I would say this morning, I am justified by faith. Okay, pastor, how do I get there? How do I go from being outside to being inside? How do I go from being a creation of God to a child of God? How do I go from being over here to being born into God's family? Faith. Pastor, is it that simple? Yes, it's that simple. For by grace are ye saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Is it, a gift? it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not about being good. It's not about doing right. It's about, do I, have I chosen to put my faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did for me? Listen, if you're here this morning, I don't care how good you are, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave, then you'll never accept what God has for you. So, Pastor, that doesn't, born of a virgin, that doesn't make sense. Lived a sinless life, if I'm honest and I look at all the, the world around me, that doesn't make sense. Uh, gave himself for me, whom he didn't even know, that doesn't make sense rose from the grave that definitely doesn't make sense it doesn't matter it matters did i put my faith in it do i believe god do i believe the bible do i choose to put my faith and my trust and my confidence and my belief system in what god has stated whom and in whom do I trust? I am justified. I am made just as if I had never sinned. I am born again this morning by faith. It's by faith. Not works. Not awards. Faith. Do you have faith in God this morning? Do you, do you believe that God is who he says he is? Now, when we have justification by faith, then what that brings to us is peace with God. A lot of times, people just, what, they're, what, God, what God uses in someone's life oftentimes is an emotional turmoil and the weight of the guilt of sin to, to make us so miserable that we can appreciate what our need is and what God has done for us. And then when we trust Christ... He gives us peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And when I'm justified by faith, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to spend eternity. I have peace. When I put my faith and my confidence in Him, He gives me peace. It is a peace that the world cannot give, nor can they understand. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 calls it a peace which passeth all understanding. It is a peace that passes understanding. I have peace with God. Thirdly, I would say that my justification and peace are through Jesus, not through me. They're made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I put my faith in him, but it's still not about anything that I've done. It's through him. 
It's His power. It's His love. It's His blood that was shed. It's His forgiveness that's given. It's His, uh, it's His Spirit working in me uh, to, uh, to mold me and to shape me and to grow me into what God has me to be. I love this next one. Through Him I have access to God. Through Him I have access. Notice verse number 2. By whom? Jesus. Also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I have access to God. You understand? When, when, a, when a problem comes up, when a tragedy strikes, when, uh, when, uh, uh, when I have a tremendous need, whenever uh, life is hard, I have access to God. I have access to my Father. See, the world doesn't have access to God because they're on the outside. But as a child, as a family, I have access to my Father. I have access to my Father by faith and through the salvation that He's given, through the position change. Through Him I have access to God. And then I can rejoice in the hope of glory. And he says that here again in verse 2, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hey, I can rejoice in the hope of His glory because my standing rests in Him. Many years ago, in, in, I would say, at least the 1800s, maybe even earlier. <clears throat> there was a child in England, <clears throat> and this child desperately wanted to get in to see the king. And he would go around London and get to the, the, close to the palace, and of course the guards are there, and nobody's getting through. And he would come all, often, and, and he would just kind of hang out to where uh, he was really just kind of a nuisance to uh, those that couldn't let him in. Uh, and after some time passed, and, and all he wanted was, I, I just I just want in, and he'd beg, and he'd have sad stories, and he'd try to sneak, and he'd do all these things. Uh, but ultimately, uh, after trying for, for a long time, someone in the palace took notice. And one day the prince was out, and a little boy came around as the prince was entering, and the prince walked up to the little boy and asked him his name and grabbed him by the hand and walked in. Nobody stopped them this time. No one intervened. No guard broke their stand of attention. They saluted and just let him go in. See, it wasn't about, and it didn't matter how hard the little boy tried, it mattered who, who he was with, Who's, who was being glorified, who was being exalted, it was the prince. And see, we're outside, but we have the prince. We have the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We want access to the Father, and Jesus has come and saw us in our position outside and has grabbed us by the hand and said, if you will come with me, if you will put your hand in mine, if you will accept by faith my hand, then I'll lead you through the gate and I'll lead you through life. And he brought them in. Now listen, what, we have to come to a place in our life where we, where we fully understand that, that my salvation is not up to me. And it's not just a matter of, yeah, well, this is our church doctrine and we've known this all of our life. So yeah, we got it. No, I mean where we, where we get that my position is provided by Jesus, and I have eternal life, and I and I maintain, or my eternal life is maintained for me 
by my position, by my standing, by who I am now, not as opposed to who I was. Consider secondly this morning, not only our standing in Christ, but our state in Christ. Okay, so now, Pastor, I'm in. Now my position has changed. Now I'm a child of God. So uh, what does that mean? What does that lead to? And we talk about our state in Christ. Notice in verse number 3, And not only so, (coughs) but we glory in tribulations also. Well, we get glorying in God, but glorying in tribulations? And the word glory here doesn't necessarily mean uh, glory and tribulations, that is. Doesn't, uh, it comes from a word that doesn't, uh, doesn't mean we're excited about it. It doesn't mean that we're, uh, that we're like, uh, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. It means that it is an exalted place. We understand the value of it. We appreciate what it can accomplish uh, in life. It is part of the development and the maturity of our lives in Christ once we're born into his family. Uh, And so our state in Christ. And and essentially, uh, we would call this theologically progressive sanctification, that God has saved my soul and now God is sanctifying me or setting me apart to represent him, to serve him, to live for him. Now I have come into his world, into his home and to his family, and there are expectations. Were there expectations to come in? No, that I accepted him by faith. But beyond that, no. There there were no behavioral expectations. There was only the faith requirement. Do I see the need if I repented of my sin and placed my faith in Christ? But once I've done that, there are expectations. And if you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, I got it. I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I know uh, that God... And that Jesus is my Savior. I know I have access to God. I may not always live the way that I should. My life may not always reflect uh, that I'm walking with Christ as I as I ought to. But I, but I understand that. Well, then consider your state. May I say to you this morning that just because that but once you became a part of the family, that there are expectations. Uh, my children brought four, my wife and I brought four children home from the hospital and for all of them, for all of their uh, lives to adulthood and even really in adulthood, there are expectations. Now the expectations weren't always the same. The expectations that uh, in their early months and weeks and their expectations into their first few years and their expectations into their, uh, into their elementary years and expectations into high school years and expectations into college. The expectations changed and increased as maturity and growth occurred. And I'm saying this morning that Jesus Christ saved your soul. God has become your heavenly father and he has an expectation that you will be developing and that you will be growing and that you will be becoming what he has designed your life to be. That's our state. Consider first of all this morning as we consider this, uh, that it is uh, that, that our state, that this In verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Tribulation works patience, patience creates experience, experience gives hope. Listen, I want to have a hope in God. I have hope in God to salvation, but I mean whenever whenever things get really bad, I don't ever want to be in a place in my life where I've lost hope. I may know intellectually that, yeah, I'm in God's family, but I don't have any real hope that God will intervene. That's not a good place to be. 
Well, how do I maintain that, Pastor? How do I grow? Well, I have to be maturing as a Christian. And that's what tribulation accomplishes. Consider, first of all, here that maturity is displayed uh, by us or in us uh, as we undergo tribulation. In other words, I, as a Christian, I have to understand that, I have, that, that the good and the bad of life go together. Being a child of God doesn't mean that there aren't still hardships in life. They go together. They're hand in hand. We live on an earth that's been cursed by our own sin. And because of that, uh, we were working in the yard a little bit yesterday. I had to prune a, uh, a couple of little small branches that grew below the graft on a, uh, a lemon tree in the backyard. And, and, and I'm telling you, it is a, the tree's only about a year and a half old. It's probably about maybe, maybe about six foot tall. Uh, but that thing's got thorns on it that are about three inches long already. I mean, I walk by that thing mowing sometimes, or I reach down to grab something. I got to be careful where I grab if it's something that I cut off. I might, I might, you know, I might get a pretty good puncture wound. That's a that's a part of the sin curse on the earth. Hey, that, will we someday, uh, hopefully, uh, enjoy some fruit from that tree? Uh, that'll be wonderful. But it still shows the marks of its sin, of our sin. It still has its its thorns. The good goes with the bad. You go out and you love roses and, and go out to pluck some roses. Uh, you better be careful where you grab before you cut. You might get more than you bargained for. Why? Because the good goes with the bad. You go out and trim the shrubs. You better shake the bush before you get too deep into it and be ready to run or have some wasp spray this time of the year because wasps love to build nests in, in shrubs. I'll never forget, I, I, there are a lot of things about my childhood that I either, it seems like in my childhood I either remember things vividly or not at all. I remember vividly <clears throat> walking into my grandparents' house, and it's just up a little slight embankment, and when I was a kid it seemed like the biggest hill in the world, but I've driven by there since then, and it's just barely even a curb. Uh, and they had these bushes, so you walked up in the, the drive, and you kind of went across the sidewalk in front of the house, and they had these big shrubs, uh, and I remember going by there, and I don't know what it was about me in my childhood, but red wasp really, really, really loved me whenever I was a kid. I could grab a tree and put my finger on the backside of it and grab a wasp. I could, and they just, they, they loved me. I remember going to my grandparents' house one day, and I don't know what happened to that bush, but they got stirred up and they found my face. Now, I don't remember how big my nose was, but it was big and red, and it wasn't pleasant. Now, the shrubs generally were nice to look at. They were, you know, a pretty thing to see. They dressed up the house and made it look good. The, the, the good goes with the bad. You, you can't separate them. And just because I'm God's child doesn't mean that the bad is separated from my life. And so when we talk about going into tribulations and God using them in our life to grow us and to mature us, we have to understand uh, that, that being a mature adult doesn't mean that the, the hard problems of life have gone away. It means that we've learned how to respond better to them. 
We've learned how, uh, you know, a, a young child gets, uh, ha- has a problem and they fly off the handle or they go in attack mode or they go in scream mode uh, and then they get disciplined. And what is that? As they get older and as they, uh, as they grow, they learn to contain that and to control the emotions and, uh, and to uh, eventually, hopefully, handle the problems uh, in a way that's constructive to turning something that was bad into something that works or is taken care of or gets even uh, to a place where it causes growth or, or becomes a good thing that that is maturity on display that's what the christian life is maturity displayed in us that's what tribulation brings it is a uh, going through tribulation and bearing it in the grace of god well is a sign of maturity spiritually of maturing in christ Good and bad go together. Tribulation works patience, the ability to just kind of uh, deal with things without getting too uh, overwhelmed or over or overburdened by it, without getting too uh, excited and out of sorts about things. We learn to just take things to the Lord in prayer and to deal with them. That, but the maturity is displayed because tribulation is working patience. It's allowing me, it's training me, it's teaching me how to deal with adversity in a way in which I engage in my relationship with Christ and my my heavenly father and he guides me through the process so that what i am doing then is handling an issue in a way that brings honor and glory to god it is maturity displayed in us it also leads to maturity that's being developed in us it is a process and we see the process laid out here patience experience and experience hope there's a fourfold part of this process this morning. I'm going to run through this just quickly. First, I would say that tribulation comes in and the hardship comes in. It's part of the melting process. It, it softens us. I think I've mentioned before about, about uh, a barrel company that I used to work of plates that manufactured 55 and 30-gallon plastic drums. And brought in the big machines, and the big machines would bring in the pellets, and the pellets would be heated not to liquid. They weren't liquefied. They were just made soft and uh, made one from thousands of little beads. They were kind of blended into one, uh, and they were softened, and they would drop down into the mold. And then uh, where the bungs would be, the, uh, the, the blow mold machine would put the things up. And once the mold closed and through those places, the air would blow into, into the uh, to the plastic and will blow it out against the form of the mold so that it had the right shape. Uh, and then uh, it cooled just a, a little bit. And then as it cooled, it was handed out of the machine and we'd take it and trim it and trim all the flashing off from around the mold. Uh, but it, it was, it had to be softened. The plastic had to be softened before it could be molded. And I'm saying this morning that what tribulation does in the life of a Christian and what tribulation does in the life of us as a spiritual child is it softens us. Now, why is that important, Pastor? Because if I'm not softened, if I remain hardened and stubborn to what I want and what I think is right and to how I see things, rather than allowing God to shape my thinking and to show me what He thinks, then I'll never grow spiritually. It is a melting process. And a melting process leads to a mellowing process. In other words, uh, hey, I was really uh, emphatic about this and then uh, I began to melt, it began to soften me and that caused me to kind of mellow out and take it a little bit more in stride and to uh, not be so necessarily antagonistic in, in, in the way that I handled something. What does that show? That shows surrender. 
And understand in the Christian life, I must come to a place as a child of God where I allow God to work in my life and to soften my heart. And once he does that, I mellow out or I surrender my will to his will. I surrender what I desire for what God desires. And once I have come to a place uh, where I have uh, been softened and then surrendered, then a wonderful process begins. It's the shaping process. And that's what happens next, that molding process. There's tribulation. And then there's, there is uh, experience. And then there's hope. There's tribulation, patience, experience, and hope. Tribulation melts me. Patience mellows me, causes me to surrender. And then experience. Experience begins to shape my life. And walking with God and experiencing God and experiencing what Jesus does in the heart and experiencing what Jesus does in the life begins to shape me into his image. And make no mistake about it, my friends, if you've placed your trust in Christ as your Savior, he has every intention of shaping you into his image. He has every intention of shaping your life to fulfill and to become exactly what he wanted you to be. Like the raw material from a silo and a bunch of pellets of plastic being softened and melted together so that they could be put into a mold and then be blown out into the mold of what they were designed to become. God needs our heart uh, to be softened and then surrendered so that it can be shaped. And what does that bring to with glory and tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. What does hope bring us to? It's the maturing process. Now I have been, I have been softened, I have been surrendered, I am being shaped so that I can serve. See, when we took that barrel out of that machine and we cut all of the flashing off of it and then we dropped the bungs into it, it just went straight to the dock to be loaded on a truck because now it was ready for service. It was ready. It was useful. You see, as the little beads of plastic, I'm not useful. As a melted product, I am not useful. As a freshly molded but still too soft, not yet cooled and hardened, I am not useful. But once the master takes me and takes the knife and trims all of the excess off and, uh, and, and puts in the final touches, then I become useful. I become serving in that which I was designed to do. And what Jesus is demonstrating, what Paul is writing of here, is he is saying, therefore being justified by faith, you have become a part of God's family. And because of that, in life's trials, you can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all also, we have access by faith into this grace where he's working in our life, wherein we stand a new position and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. My life is not going to bring glory to me. It's going to bring glory to God. And not only uh, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Why? Because we know that tribulation worketh 
patience that being softened in our heart and our spirit brings us to a place of surrender and patience experience and when we experience God he shapes our life into what he wants it to be and an experience hope we become useful for the master service so that he can do in our life what he wants done and, and creates what he wants created to be softened to surrender to be shaped allow ourselves to be shaped so that we can serve James chapter 4 and verse 10 says it this way humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up tribulation is God's method when we accept it with the right spirit of developing the Christian's character in in the believer so put it in a practical note as we wrap up this morning coaches often induce suffering on their players so that their players can respond to the stress of a game I remember being ninth and tenth grade and, and and learning how to get involved in in high school sports really at that level and uh, and I mean it was just a lot of pain. I remember going to soccer practice the first time uh, at our Christian school and uh, and the soccer coach coming out and saying, "Yeah, I'm going to get your heartbeat up to about 130. I'm going to keep it there for the next 90 minutes," and he meant it. I remember going to basketball practice and running all of the suicides and the runs. And I remember doing all of those things. And many of you have similar experiences. And what, what there, was, there wasn't anything particularly enjoyable about the heavy, hard training aspect of getting ready. But it was necessary so that whenever the, the game was on the line, uh, you had what it took and you had deep within you the ability to rise to the occasion, to rise to the challenge, and to accomplish the goal or to win the game. And that's essentially, it's simple. Military commanders do it to their, uh, to their troops uh, to train them for battle, to get ready for life and death situations in reality. Uh, and it is no, there's nothing fun uh, about, uh, about being out in the field for weeks on end and eating MREs uh, and, and, and things like that and going uh, without showers. and you know, There's nothing fun about that, but it's necessary to prepare someone for the challenge that lies before them. Do I trust God to bring the things into my life rather than complaining about them and rather than lamenting them and rather than being angry at God about what he's brought into my life? Do I trust him like I trust him to save my soul, to shape my life in what he needs it to be and to bring the things into my life that will cause me to have confidence in him, to win the victory for him, to serve him in what he's created me to do so that ultimately he is glorified. That's the Christian life. And God allows us sometimes to go through difficulties to prepare us because he knows that there are attacks coming from our enemy. Sin is going to attack you. This world is going to attack you. Your own flesh is going to attack you. Satan is going to attack you. As a child of God, as a, as a member of the family of God, we should not go through life uh, uh, ignorantly thinking that no attack is ever going to come. My friends, you will be under constant bombardment from the enemy, and God knows it, but he's given you grace. He's given us his power. He's working in our hearts, but in order for him to work, I must allow him to soften me. And in order for him to work, I must allow myself to surrender to him and to trust him. And I must allow him to change who I was into what he needs me to be. I must allow him to shape me so that I can serve him. So many times people will come and say, Pastor, I want to do this. I want to, do I want to serve. I want to, have you, that's great. That's wonderful. But have you allowed him to soften you? 
Pastor, I want to serve. I want to do this. I want to do that. Have you surrendered to him? Pastor, I want to do this. I want to do that. Have you allowed him to change who you were to what he needs you to be? Can we serve? Can we be and become what God wants us to be? Yes, with his help. That is him imputing his righteousness, his power, his glory, his grace on our lives because of our faith. I'm going to tell you this morning that whenever you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that it was for all of eternity. It can never be taken away. It can never be diminished. It's not about whether you're good or whether you're bad. It's about the change in position, a change in standing. You were taken from a place that was outside of the palace, and you were brought inside and made a part of the royal family. But sanctification is for a lifetime. Salvation is an instantaneous moment in which God births us into his family. But sanctification is a lifelong journey. There's not one person in this room that I could look at and say this morning, no matter how young or no matter how old, and say to you that your sanctification process when you get to this point is over. No, it is a lifelong process. As long as God has me on this earth, he is shaping me, he is molding me, he is training me to face what he has and what he needs me to face and to lead people through next. What does that require? It requires me to stay soft. It requires me to stay surrendered. It requires me to allow him to be continuously shaping my life so that I can serve in the capacity that he set before me next. My friends, this morning, I hope that you know that positionally you're in Christ, that his righteousness has been imputed to you, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you're part of his family. I hope you know that. If you don't this morning, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation and invite you to come. I'd love to have someone take you to another room and take the Bible and answer your questions. You won't be pressured. You won't be coerced. We'll just, just present to you the facts of what our position was and what our position can be in Christ Jesus. The decision is yours. But if you know that, are you able to serve him successfully? See, we, we try to serve a lot, Brother Wayne, but we just don't do it well sometimes because we're hard. Or Brother Sandy, we don't do it well because we're not surrendered. Or we don't do it well because we're not in the right shape. You take a, a can of water out to water your garden. It's got a big four-inch hole in the bottom of it. And by the time you get from the spigot to the where you need the water, it's not going to be there. Why? Because it's, got, it's deformed. And so many times we try to serve the Lord deformed spiritually. What I'm saying to you this morning, Christian, is are you allowing the Holy Spirit of God to soften your heart continually? Are you allowing... And continually bringing your flesh and my flesh into subjection. Paul said that he had to die daily so that I stay soft to the leading of God, the working of God. Why is that so important, Pastor? Because God needs to be changing my shape to do what he needs me to do this day. Why? So that I can effectively serve him. I I don't want to go to heaven and look at God and say, God, and have God tell me, if you would have just softened your heart, then you could have served me well. Are we, are we this morning Christians? Are we allowing him to soften? Are we surrendering? 
Is He shaping us or is our own will shaping us? And are we effectively serving? You see, when you were saved, you were saved for all of eternity. But sanctification takes a lifetime.